Let's make sure history never forgets the name. Sci-fi melody. Got out. Sci-Fi Melody, Symptom 276, The Augments, Where's... Well, here we are, the end of yet another trekking into the new year. And we're wrapping up Enterprise, which means next year we do the animated series. The animated series, which you'd think we would have done earlier after TOS, the regular one, but whatever. And I will tell you, that in there will be an episode where Kirk travels to the center of the galaxy to meet the devil to find out that he's just misunderstood and really a good guy. Uh, There's your Saturday morning lessons, kids. The devil is just misunderstood. If you take time to know him, he's a good dude. (laughs) Yet somehow Scott considers that better Trek than Dear God Why. I mean, Star Trek V. It is. Where they meet God and he's just very, Scott is just horrendously let down. What does God need with a starship? <laughs> I mean, it's a good, but like you say, it's a powerful line. But unfortunately, the rest of the movie ruins it. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Um, but we wrap up trekking into the new year with a three-part trilogy that makes up my second favorite episode of Enterprise. And that is Borderland, Cold Station 12, and the augments. This is a a you know I won't I'll let Rage do the recap, but it is a it is um it's a trilogy that brings back Brent Spiner to play one of Noonien Soong's ancestors, Arak Soon, who is all about genetic engineering the species. He thinks that you know that thing with Khan was just a little mistake that he can fix, and we find out that he can't. But we'll get more into that as this episode goes on. Um. Real quick, why did I choose this episode? Why did I choose this trilogy? I do think it's some of the best storytelling that Enterprise has done. It is, in, it is probably one of the most entertaining three blocks of episodes in a row, back to back to back. You get some fantastic acting um, by the support cast, and, and you get to see uh, Brent Spiner in the Star Trek universe again, showing you that he is one of the most underappreciated actors of all time, and that he was cursed to be typecast as Data, which is why he didn't really get to work on the screen as much as he should have. But he is phenomenal in whatever role you ask him to play. And, uh, and you end up getting three very enjoyable episodes of Star Trek, and you get to see... You chew on some very, very weighty questions about the the human condition which i always love about what it means to be human and this is a three-part episode where enterprise probably does that better than it does in a lot of other episodes and at the core of that is do we really value other life or do we really value life that we view as equal to our own uh does superior ambition or ability breed superior ambition and at some point if we felt that there was a superior um, 
offshoot of the species that was five times stronger, disease-resistant, five times smarter, would they start to look down on other members of humanity as, as less than them and see their lives as something trivial? Um, and and you, see, you see a lot of this. You also see questions of how much of their own sins will a father overlook of his own children? And you, you, know, you see um, a lot of these questions. Um, and, and, and we'll get into these as we go along. It, it's particularly interesting to watch Soong and to watch the voyage that he goes on and to try to pinpoint the moment where he realizes that this is going to end badly and that he is wrong. He cannot remove the ambition that made the first batch of genetically engineered humans um, tyrannical killers. We also get to see Maud Deeb if he was a villain. Wait. Um, Don't bury the trivia, but yes, he was a villain. Maud Deeb actually might be a villain. Depends on what perspective you watch it from, because if you get to Dune um, Messiah, I mean, he really (laughs) does release a war of destruction on the entire galaxy and is hated and vilified. (laughs) So maybe Maud Deeb has always been a villain? All right, over to... Ragemaster joining us on a car phone in a parking lot outside of his employment to tape this yep. episode. Yep. Uh, yeah, there's a lot going on here in these episodes. So rather than just give any detailed, let's just go ahead and lay it out. Brent Spiner is, is playing the character Eric Sung, who is a geneticist who created the first batch of genetically superior humans. And he's in prison for it because that led to the eugenics war and what was it, 30, 35 million dead? Was it, well, mil- it was a million, right? Well, his, no, his didn't make, lead to the no, eugenics no. war, but there were laws in place to prevent genetically engineering humans because of the eugenics war around in the right, late but 1990s. I mean, but I yeah. mean, that happened and he was still doing it. Yes. So, yes. so he was in prison. At the beginning, however, some of his, some of the, we'll say, kids that he grew. They uh, hijack a Klingon bird of prey and decide this, they're going to go rescue dad and start that superhuman colony they've always talked about. And Archer is put on the trek of trying to prevent this. So first he goes and gets Eric Soong out of prison and he's trying to use them to hunt down the, uh, the well, not Malik is not the leader, but he will be, hunt them down. And he tells them, well, first we have to go through, go to a, the Orionites. I can't believe I'm forgetting this. The Orions. The Orions. Yeah. You got to find them with the, with the Orions. The Orions, because I bought some equipment off of them in a black market. So they are on their way, but unfortunately some of the crew of the enterprise, including T'Pol are kidnapped by the Orions and sold into the slave market where you find out that humans are worth next to nothing. But anyway, um, so that, it, that basically is, they go in, they try to cap, they, Archer successfully institutes a slave rebellion to get his crew back. Unfortunately, soon gets away because, and Scott, you can correct me if I'm missing something here, but. He um, tried to get away. He tried to get away, but Archer got him. That brings us then to uh, finding, they find the old school where Sung used to grow up and where he used to teach the kids, and they find uh, one leftover 
genetically altered kid uh, who I forget they called him, but basically his problem Smythe. was the only benefit. Huh? Smythe. Yeah. Yeah. He was the runt, and the only gift he had was superior hearing. Otherwise, he was normal in every way. So they just kind of ditched him. The augments ditched him when they left because he was going to hold him back. So they bring him on board and take care of him. And by this point, Eric Sung is now with the kids and he's going to outpost a medical outpost to try to get the rest of the embryos that were frozen by the Federation. Not Federation yet, but by humanity. Humanity, yeah. And the problem is he needs Flox wants to join them in this because Flox worked this medical outpost and he knows the codes and it's a very personal thing for him. Unfortunately, Sung and by this point, Malik has killed the guy in charge, has become kind of megalomaniacal. Sung and Malik and the rest of the augments have taken over the medical facility and are trying to get the code. The doctor in charge refuses to give it to them even after they use a bunch of diseases to kill one of his staff. And eventually, however, they managed to capture Flocks and try to do the same thing. And for some reason, his old friend Flocks triggers him and says, fine, 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 I'll give you the codes, just don't kill Flocks. So they don't disease kill Flocks, and you give them the code, and they steal the embryos and head off the medical facility. Archer, of course, there's a big uh, thing where a bunch of diseases are going to be put throughout the facility and Archer has to save the day by going into a, going into some tunnel and doing something manually. He's shot out of a space tube cannon into space. Yeah. <laughs> because after he does something manually, because there's always a manual way to stop things. I'm getting horrible Halo 4 vibes. Even when it's not, this. even when it's not manual, I know I'm jumping ahead to rip some picks, but it's not even manual. He moves a cylinder from one place to another and touches a couple buttons that redirects all the airflow into his. We, that's not a manual override. You push the button. We just need tension. <laughs> we just need tension. Yeah. As someone and, who works on stuff, I can tell you that's not a manual override at all. I love it when they say. Okay, okay, Star Trek Enterprise is famous for two... Th- uh, go ahead, go ahead, Rage. We'll do this in the... Uh, so anyway, we'll do this in Ripley. So the final, what, the, the final episode is uh, essentially just them... Uh, Soong is starting to have second doubts because his augments he's learning are bloodthirsty, megalomaniacal, and maybe that story about Khan was probably true. He's starting to have second doubts, second thoughts. And in the final episode, uh, the augments... Uh, Whipbell against wow. him. He Turn gets thrown off. Him. He gets thrown off. They rescue him. The Enterprise rescues yeah. him. The reason why they threw him off is because he was throwing it. Wanted to He's edit getting... the MBOs, so they yeah. Aggressive. He wanted to take away their aggression. They thought that was being too nice. That he was going soft. Big battle and... It ends, and then they recapture him and throw him back in prison after a final yep. fight scene. The augments are killed. And then well, actually, they blow themselves up. Yeah. And then after that, Soon goes back into prison and comments that he thinks AI would be better. And he sets to work. And we all know that his, what is it, great-grandson will be the one who goes on to create data. And lore. And the B4. Connection, connection <laughs> made. Yeah. Also, there is the question that he does bring up 
which is, is it a bad thing for us to mess with our genetic code? Oh, yeah, that's the whole thing, because the Denobulans did it. The Denobulans did it, except they didn't have the same problem as yeah the humans did very apparently. interesting so, and we'll, we'll we'll definitely touch on that um that's a huge question here but you know with that uh there's so much going on so i'm just gonna pick one or two fun facts from each episode and um uh, just gonna go with that uh from borderland the new captain's chair that trip is working on is actually from star trek nemesis in a deleted scene after Captain Riker leaves, Picard sinks and it pushes a button which activates a seatbelt. Thus, Trip's in joke about try not to hit that button. The seatbelt ports are still easily visible on the Black Rest. I, mean, I think Picard so, says about time. <laughs> uh, let's see. Of course, Scott mentioned one of them. Malik is played by Paul Muadib from the sci-fi Dune series, which we did cover way back when. Um, let's see. Did you recognize the, the port- prop on the Denoblian medical ship? It's got like the flashing tubes. They alternate. Oh, yeah. You know, that was in a bunch of other things, wasn't it? That's one of the most famous props. It's in the Genesis station in Wrath of Khan. I believe it's used in um, uh, data lore when they find Soong's laboratory. That prop mm-hmm. is, is recycled a lot in science fiction. Yes, it is. Um, I saw something about that, but anyway. You know, several props and costumes from the episode uh, Cold Station 12 were sold off on an online auction, including Richard Rao's lab coat and Dr. Soong's lesson pad. So, yay. Uh, Forty-seven reference, when the augments enter Cold Station 12 and Dr. Soong accesses the terminal to gasify the personnel and the control hub, the display of the terminal reads, Initiate Protocol 47. Mm. They love sneaking mean, a 47 Scott? reference. The writers of Next Generation, which went on to be the writers of Voyager, which went on to be the writers of Enterprise, were obsessed with throwing a reference to 47 in just about every episode. Okay. So if you go through just about everything in Next Gen from like Season 3 on... And you go through Voyager, it, if they need a random protocol or a random number, it's 47. I don't know what okay. it is. It's like Douglas Adams with 42. If it, That's Star yeah. Trek's answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. 47. In fact, Scott, the, um, the tubes you mentioned, the two red long tubes, they were also in Sung's, in, uh, in his place. This device has been seen in uh, TNG, DS9, Voyager. Uh, they were in Next Generation Data Lore. They've been seen in the control. They were in the control room as Station Twelve. You mentioned that they were in Wrath of Khan, on the Space Laboratory Regula One. Uh, they were also featured in Airplane Two, the sequel. <laughs> I mean, they were in everything. If I ever hit the lottery, I'm going to buy that prop and put it in the studio. Just because. Yes. The lethal diseases mentioned being stored in Cold Station 12 are references to various diseases used in Star Trek in the past, such as Rigelian fever and Tellurian plague. 
Let's see if Scott knew those. <laughs> yeah, Telerium Plague is in an episode of uh, Next Generation Season 1 where Loxana, where Deanna Troy is going to be forced into an arranged marriage, which after this disappears from Betazoid culture. Um, and and uh, they, they have the plague ship that is trying to land, and then Deanna's bride-to-be is a doctor who beams over to help them cure the plague because he's had visions of the blonde female captain of their ship since he's been, like, a kid. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. And Rigelian Fever, I believe, is from TOS. Okay. It uh, might go back to, is that the one where they, it's Requiem, is that Requiem for Methuselah where they've got to get something off of a planet and they find a guy who claims to be, to have been, like, Leonardo da Vinci and, like, 6,000 years old. And you'd, know, but you'd know better than I would, Scott. I didn't, I didn't dig that much up. You would know better than I would. Um, interestingly enough, too, we know that um, at the end of the story, Archer says that he hopes Dr. Soong that the research into genetic engineering could come back because it could cure diseases. Later on in DS9, in the episode Dr. Bashir, I presume, uh, we learn that by the 24th century, genetic engineering was being used to treat serious medical conditions. Though trying to genetically engineer humans with superior abilities was still banned. So I believe there was an episode where there was a genetically superior human in DS9, right? Yeah, it's Dr. Bashir himself. Yeah. Dr. Bashir is genetically engineered. Right. But also, I'm going to pat myself on the back. I did have that right where Rigelian fever came from on an obscure season three episode of TOS. That's a deep pull, if I have to say so myself. Ethan can confirm. That's good. Also, one more thing. This is more for the Trekkies. After Dr. Sung and the Augments escape from Cold Station 12, they take the bird of prey into a region of space with radiation from a supernova revenance, remnants, which the Klingons call Klaktakaplacht, and soon called the Briar Patch, which I thought was from Song of the South, but I was wrong. It is not. Because this is the same region of space containing the Baku homeworld in Star Trek Insurrection. Yes, sir. And this region is also the site of the Battle of Klaktakaplacht, where Dakar Mastakar led the Klingons in glorious victory over the Romulans and nearly a century later would create the battle on that battle on one of the hollow seats in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Blood Oath. Rage, I am impressed. Yeah. Your well, Googling skills up. are amazing. <laughs> yep. I'm, I'm, good at, I'm good at digging this stuff up. There's so. some good continuity there by the right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now I just got to get my, uh, I just got to get my uh, Klingon better because I'm just. It starts out good just, and then it turns into Donald Duck, but then it gets back to Klingon. Well, what it first, the problem is that chicken bone I lodged in my throat to help <laughs> me kind of went down. So after that, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> so I just kind of made it up after that. But anyway, there's your trivia and your poorly mentioned Basically, it's a bunch of augments that try to take over a planet, and they get their dad, Dr. Sung, and Archer goes and rescues them, stops them, and they kill themselves, and they realize they can't get what they want. Dr. Sung decides, I think I'll work on AI, a project which will eventually lead to data and lore. Data lore. Great. 
great storyline. It's a great story arc yep. that's done phenomenally yep. well. So rips and picks and rips and picks and rips and picks and rips and picks. I will start. I think it is absolutely incredibly rich to have Doctor Flox question Arik Soong's medical ethics. Okay. Yeah. On well, the basis of what? It's well, flocks. Last week, he grew a sentient you know being Scott? in a lab to be an organ Scott, donor. <laughs> I was thinking about that. I'm going to tell you right now, I have one thing to say about that. And that is, flocks also has an oath to save life. And that means you play triage. But to do save you create life, life to save to kill it? To save it? I don't know. Uh, well, but here's the problem. He knew at the time of creation that it would take 15 days for it to die so he could save another human being. Yeah. So you can argue he was upholding his oath. You can also go back to the first season episode where he's to save, he's, he's trying to find a cure for a plague that's going to kill off an entire species. And he finds it. And he decides not oh, to yeah. give it to okay. them because he's that found that the second, okay. the second species will, will eventually naturally evolve into the superior species. And that by giving the one species the cure, he will kill off the other species. Well, wouldn't that now, the prime directive didn't exist yet, so. Nope. Um, but wouldn't the prime directive have defended flocks? Would have just said you never should have got involved, but they were, once you got involved... <laughs> You've got the cure. You're going to let millions of people die. (laughs) That one I'll let you have because it was a case of like, wow, you could save all these people, but you decide that would get in way in the planet's natural evolution. But, I mean, you're also looking at it from 20th century or 21st century Earth standards instead of 24th, whatever century, Denobulan standards. Yeah, it's also a misunderstanding of evolution. It doesn't quite work that way. I can't, it isn't like a preset path that is going to happen. It's random mutations. You can't tell me what something will evolve into. So at any rate. Well, but we're making a scenario there. But the point is you're, you're trying to say, well, the Denobulan was wrong. Well, the, maybe the Denobulan was right according to his own standard. True. So I have but, two more rips. One is anyway. The, you yeah. make it. You make a good point that a guy like that accusing another guy. It's almost like it's me saying, "Hey, I know I killed someone, but that guy's a thief." You have a gambling of, problem. You have a gambling problem. <laughs> Remember the time I let that maniac in the house dressed like Santa? Well, that's nothing, because you have a gambling problem. <laughs> oh, the Simpsons podcast just, coming soon. <laughs> I, I just saw that episode last night, so that's why I was definitely thinking Oh, of it. man. Um, it, the augment led to... Um, a war on Earth that killed 30 to 35 million people. And in 150-some years, 200 years, the best thing you've decided to do is to keep every single one of those embryos in stasis in a out-of-the-way, lightly secured space station away from Earth. I was thinking about that, too, because I got 
Star Trek Into Darkness vibes, where it's like, wait, if you're that worked up about it and hot and bothered, you already can, quote unquote, play God with their genetics. Why don't you do it again? Reverse a lot of that stuff and then grow them up. Well, that I mean, brings up a lot of questions right there. Well, they've already made the, the humans. So it's like, you can't, you can't sit here and say, we can't play genetics with these people. You've already done that. Well, they didn't. It's a bit late to be asking for that question now, hasn't it? Wouldn't you just well, destroy the embryos? Or that. I, I mean, if you're trying to con- pertain, save life, like you like saying, Scott, you tinker with their DNA like Sung was doing and grow them up. And then be like, well, problem solved. These people, you know, you we made, got rid of their affinity for cancer, and there you go. You made genetic engineering of any kind illegal. You're never going to bring these embryos to life. Why are we just keeping them around as popsicles? Well, because, well, yeah, by that point, at the same time, if you're saying, well, we can't kill life, are they really living, though, if they're just sustaining this thing all the time? Well, I mean, not just that. The, the question it becomes very much... How much of that is nature? How much of that is nurture? Because that's a lot of what this question is being asked is, is, how do I put this best? Genetically engineering these superhumans before and making them aggressive somehow, but then later being able to remove the aggressiveness well, what are you removing? Is this just the genetic engineering? Did that just hype up what was already there? Or did this add something? Or did this? There's a million questions here. This is a good segue into the first question, but in the middle of rips and picks. Thomas, Mark, do you have any rips or picks that you want to get? And then we can segue uh, right know, back to this. There was, there was one rip, and I wish I could remember it now because it, it clearly didn't bother me that much because I can't remember it offhand. I should have written it down, but there was one that just made me think like, why don't you just do that? Um, I'm tr- shoot. I'm going to think about it at 2 a.m. tonight. Thomas? Uh, Good time. Uh, I got nothing, really. Okay. I mean, there were, it was, they were good episodes. They were enjoyable for sure, but there were just a, a handful of things. Like, like Flocks would like to go on the away team. Um, why would you? Oh, I got it. I got it now. On the medical facility, it has been proven that these augments have superhuman strength. They're like Spider-Man. They can pick up a bus. And they, can, they take like three or four phaser shots to, to knock down with a stun bolt, stun blast. Archer punches one in the face and knocks it down. Um, like if Archer had been holding on to a pipe wrench, I might have been like, "All right, it was right in the face." I tell Kirk that. took Khan out, but and that's dumb. <laughs> okay, <laughs> if these people, I mean, they got shot by a stun blast from a phaser, and it took three or four shots to drop them, which is dumb unto itself, by the way. But that you know. That's dumb unto itself because congratulations, now you made an enemy that's too strong. But um, 
even the even they were smart enough with the board to explain how that works. But anyway, Archer drops one with a punch or a door to the face or whatever it was. It's like, I get it. You need that guard to be on his butt. But try a little harder. Maybe that one like, didn't have superhuman strength. Maybe he was not yeah, quite but full smite. I don't want to assume missing. that. I know. It's bad. I, I shouldn't have to assume that. Just no. put a pipe in Archer's hand and I'll say, wow, a giant pipe in someone's face would hurt a lot. Right. Maybe I mean, to Paul's maybe a Vulcan. Not, and they're stronger than humans, so maybe, maybe T'Pol could have a chance to catch him the right way and knock him out. Yeah, whatever. Or she does a Vulcan neck pinch on him. Yep. You know, But she's whatever. not even there. It, right. Well, that's the problem. She should have been. Something like that would have been better. Yeah. Um, you had to give Archer his hero moment. That's that. That was to me just like a dumb moment of, oh, jeez. It was really stupid because... Archer gets that moment anyway when Malik says you're a competent fighter, but that's not enough. Because he scores his hit on Malik, and he's not even supposed to be able to do that. But yeah. Right. So that that those moments, it's like, look, you made an enemy that's too powerful, and that, that's why you always have to measure how powerful am I making this enemy? Because if I'm making him too powerful. Either I'm going to screw up and let that power shut off at the dramatically appropriate moment, or I'm just going to get into an arms race where soon Archer is walking around with an exoskeleton suit that makes him stronger than Superman. And then you got to come up with a thing. More. Then you came up with Species 8472. At least it's one oh. moment and it's done quickly and it's not jarring. That's true. Yep. That's true. So. But yes, for Rip, there it is. Anyway, well, that's go. where I'm at. All right. So this, this, this series of episodes is really exploring a couple basic questions about humanity. And I think at its core, it's, it, it, it digs a little into the Blade Runner question of what is the defining characteristic of humanity, and you get to the point of being able to have empathy and being able to, to value other people as much or more than you value yourself, even if they don't have, even if they're not equal to you. Um, and some of that question comes down with the augments. It's asked in Space Seed. It's asked in Wrath of Khan. It's asked again here every single time Star Trek talks about genetic engineering. It asks the question, does superior ability breed superior ambition? And at that point, if you not only believe that you are superior to every other living being, but you can prove it scientifically that you are three times as smart, five times as strong, immune to disease, you hear better, you see better, you have faster reactions, you're quicker. Will you eventually stop having empathy for those creatures that you, that you now see as creatures that are beneath you? Is genetic engineering an inevitable path to a sociopathic humanity and a lack of empathy? Or a caste system of sorts. Correct. Well, I definitely could see a caste system of sorts, at least on the part of... So it depends very much on the individual, of course. Some will not see that. Some will see life as life. Um, but will there be those who feel there's, a, you know, homo superior or something? Yeah, of course. I mean, think about us. We did it on skin tone with nothing more than skin tone. We, we did... 
we assumed mental superiority based on nothing more than skin tone. Well, I'm glad, so glad once you brought you, that up. Or, whereas, if you could actually, on the other hand, prove, okay, unlike before when we were just making that arbitrary thing up, now we know definitively that this person is three times smarter, stronger, etc. Now we can definitively say they're superior. Someone or some people are going to fall into that trap of, hey, wait a minute, how come I'm not in charge? Uh, at the other end, though, you're going to have the people who view almost with empathy. Now that empathy could come in different forms. That could come in a form of, well, we're both living and there's a form of equality in that. It can also come in the form of, I'm empathetic for you in the same way that I'm empathetic towards my cat. I'd st- I still love my cat and I'd never heard it, but uh, it's definitely inferior to me in many ways. Um, sure, it has a better sense of smell and hearing, but it, sh- it lives, it, its lives are short, it lives a shorter amount of time. It's not as smart. It's not as strong. It you craps know, in so a box. <laughs> yeah, there's, so there's going to be that degree of empathy, the, a look down empathy. It's it's not hatred. It's just kind of like a yeah, I know I'm better. But you're also going to have. Well, there's also the question. You, well, hang on, hang on. You're also going to have the lazy superior because we all know somebody who legitimately is intelligent or skilled or talented, but. God, are they the most unambitious, lazy human being in the world that achieves nothing in life and wastes their talents because that would involve doing something. And they don't like that. We know that. So you're going to get a variety, in my opinion, based on that. I'm sorry, Thomas, go do your thing. Well, well, I was going to say, cats are animals. So there's a difference there. But the question becomes quite a bit with humans is how do I put there is some innate differences and some people are I'm sorry, I cannot play I'm you know, I'm not sure, but I cannot play in the NBA. <laughs> no, I mean there is talent, there are things in but you know what, since you bring up the human animal thing, I'll bring up another one that's likened to it. Right or for right or wrong, let me bring it up. In Japan, it is assumed that white people are going to screw up because we're not Japanese. Now, is that because people view Japanese culture as superior? Some do. The rest are more sympathetic, such as Japanese society is ridiculously overcomplicated and overruled. Of course you don't get it. So there's variations there. Maybe that's a little bit better than the animal one, Thomas. You're right. Well, it- that would be cultural, and that's a big problem there. But uh, again, I'm, I, I was going back to there is some innate differences between people, and some things just do happen. Uh, again, I don't have the ability to play an NBA. Some people do. Sure, sure, but we're talking about monumental differences, not you're better. There's someone, someone's better at NBA than you, but you're better at them in some other way. Well, yes, but this is kind of my point. Uh, and I was getting to it. Just give me a sec. Even the military has limits. 
they have a lower standard. They do not take. There's an IQ test, which you have to pass to join the military. Because they believe that there is something to the idea of some people being too stupid to even be cannon fodder. (laughs) Now, that brings up the question. Is there such a thing as people who are just innately not as, let's say, beneficial to society as a whole? Because I'm now that that brings up so many other questions. Because what is beneficial? What is society? Is music beneficial? Is more beneficial than a doctor? Is a doctor more beneficial? It brings up a billion, I know. Yeah, that's a bit beyond what we can do today. Right. So what I was just going to bring up is then if we accept that there is a, let's just say, a low end where mm, they do not have as much functionality in some aspects. Are there the high end, which have a innate ability for quite a bit, the athletic genius who can play, you know, 60 chess underwater and do everything? I would say there are definitely a slim minority that have incredible abilities in quite a few, you know, not everything, because again, we're human. Everyone has weaknesses. So yes, if you genetically engineer and get rid of quite a few of those weaknesses, the question becomes they are butter in a lot of things. What is holding them back? Should they be held back? And how do I say this? Is the drive to compete And the drive to be the best, which is in all people. I mean, there's a few very key drives in humanity. The drive to survival, the drive to reproduce, which to reproduce, you normally have to also compete. So with that, is it a bad thing? Now, I know Star Trek says yes. I know Star Trek says yes, the this idea of competing is terrible and you should be gotten rid of. But I'm asking you, do you think that it's a bad thing to want to compete and try to strive to be butter than someone else? No, and Star Trek doesn't say that. I mean, most of the episodes of the original series focus on you need to struggle to grow. Um, I think I did a, uh, I did do a standalone podcast on that. I think, however, that there is a difference between competition on a level playing field and knowing that the playing field isn't even remotely level. We're not talking about, I have the ability to go play in the NBA, and while LeBron James at his prime might have been the most insanely talented athlete to ever play at the sport, or Michael Jordan, you still had people who could compete with him. Who could, who could do relatively the same things as him. Michael Jordan might have just been 10% better at certain things, 10% faster, you know. Um, we're not talking about that with genetic engineering. 
We're talking about and we're talking about making people that are so far above us that an adult is above a toddler. And at that point, um would that superior ability and knowing that breed out your empathy? And this is where I think Star Trek has it wrong. Okay? Because I don't think it necessarily has to. Star Trek deals in absolutes in this, and, and, I, and it's one of the things where I think they make a mistake. This episode kind of gives you a nod that it doesn't have to be this way. When it says that the Denoblians have figured it out and been using it for two centuries. Well, if the Denoblians the, the, the can figure it out and genetically engineer away disease, can genetically engineer away certain debilitating weaknesses, can enhance their species overall, why can't we? We failed the first time, and Phlox says something about our awareness had not caught up with our means or our maturity, and, and that it, at the right time you were able to do it on Denobula. So we had something, we, we weren't ready for this technology, and we used it, and, and Soong even says it, the, the ships that colonized the solar system were nuclear. Um, we look back through our own history, though, and in most cases where we start to believe that we have a a, where people start to believe in a superior race or a superior culture or that their brand of nationalism is superior, it leads to justification of excessive evils. Look at the treatment of the um, indigenous Americans um, by, by the United States throughout its history. Came to believe that there was a superior culture. Look at slavery. That was part of the the justification in the South for slavery. Um, once you start to create a tier, you, certain individuals tend to be able to use that to justify actions and a lack of empathy and a lack of seeing them as, as equals. But it doesn't mean that it's going to happen across the board. And that kind of leads me into my second question here because this episode kind of does something, and I don't know if it did it unwittingly or if it did it on purpose. And if it did it on purpose, it's a great example of my, my opinion of the writing of this, seri- of this set of episodes goes up tremendously. The episode kind of tells you you don't have to be human to lack empathy for one person and prioritize another person. You don't have to be an augment to do that. You don't have to be genetically engineered. Dr. Lucas does not for one second consider giving the code to save the first doctor that dies of Rigelian blood fever. Does he? Mm-hmm. Doesn't no. consider it at all. Now, Dr. Flox goes in, and that's his old friend. There is a relationship there that goes deeper than whoever this comrade of the month is that he works with. Um, and he can't even let them put flocks in the tube. I'm glad you brought that up because that bothered me a lot. What does that say about Dr. Lucas? Yeah. It was important enough to let this schmuck die. But not my friend flocks. We're supposed to be making an argument that the augments don't value sentient life equally just because it's sentient life. And because of their superior um, ability and ambition, they will only value augment life 
and see human life as not worth saving. And Dr. Lucas shows you that good old normal humans will value their friends more than those who are they're not close to. And he's even going to value flocks over all the untold lives that these augments are going to go destroy with these diseases that can't get out. And the embryos. So, it could be right there in the episode that, again, and and it's a beautiful part about this because it's open-ended. If we have those flaws to begin with and you take everything that we have and enhance it, are you going to enhance that flaw too? It comes down to, and it leads to kind of like, well, I don't know. I'm going to ask you guys and turn it over to you because I kind of answered it. What does, in your mind, what does Dr. Lucas's actions say about good old basic humans compared to the augments? What does it say about our basic nature and humanity as, pro- as you're watching he's pro- it? He's protecting his, his clan, his closest clan, as it were, as opposed to someone else. Um, I mean, I guess you could argue it had been beaten down enough, but what, watching your one colleague die wasn't good enough? That was, I mean, you could argue that he thought he could take it, and then after that, you know, he couldn't stand it again. But again, if, if Flox had been someone he just knew in passing, and he broke down, you could have been like, all right, well, maybe he couldn't stand to see another person suffer. But given the personal connection they had, it looks like, you know, it looks like a hypocritical double standard. I'm willing to protect mine instead of someone else. Yeah. You could even argue that it's, it's a separate of mine because he should consider he's the head of that station. He should consider everyone on there his that, to protect. That's exactly. Flox is no longer assigned to there. Yep. Whereas this person, the first person that was killed, was directly under his supervision. Yep. Thomas? So. It, it does bring up an interesting question. I, I have trouble figuring out where I want to land on there. Now, I think the doctor just giving up when flux, I, that's just weak. You let someone else die. And you're not going to let your friend die? No. No. Stand by your morals. Your friend should be able to die for those morals. You should be able to allow that, because that should be higher up. Um, if it was that important to let one sentient being die, it should be important enough to let the second. Yes. And I think that, in some ways should be kind of showing the betterment of humanity, which is we are willing to lay down our lives for things we believe in. We, are, we do that quite often. So why should we not be able to do that then? But he didn't. The doctor in the tube wasn't willing to. He didn't get me out of here. Well, yeah. Um, okay. Let's pivot to soon, because we've got a, a heart out here in 12 minutes. Um, I'm not even going to try to tell you Soong is a good guy. Soong is a sociopath. Are we in agreement on this? Yeah. Yeah. But he starts seeing at least he has his limits. He just, once, once he has to start shedding blood, he realizes, is this really what I want to go for? 
Yep. The difference between him and Malik is is not too great. Soong is willing to let the Enterprise crew get sold into slavery because it can advance his research or it can help him save his children. Soong knocks Archer out. He's not going to kill him, but he's going to knock him out. And if he escapes, hey, he escapes, but he's going to risk letting him go into slavery. He, he led Archer's, Archer into a trap that could have resulted in his people dying. Um, Soong puts Archer in a choice. He's not going to kill someone, but he lets Archer choose. Come after me or let that medical ship burn up. Make your choice. Um, Soong isn't going to kill uh, Lucas's friend. He says, release the antitoxin. And it's Malik who goes further and says, I'll kill, exactly as you said. Um, Soong is valuing, valuing the augments over regular human life to an extent. Valuing his own children. At what, what, if I'd ask you guys, at what point do you think that Soong knew where this was going to end badly? Uh, probably when they started releasing viruses and meaning it. Like, the idea of putting him in the tube as a threat didn't bother him, clearly. And it's like now, and which is so funny too, because you know, now that I think about it, killing someone in a few minutes with disease is a line, but slavery is not. Um, slavery, depending, you know, it's a unless you're talking about the old ancient times where you were living with the family and they treated you like the family pet, that not that that's good, but. You know, slavery is a slow death. So it's okay that T'Pol got sold into some disgusting slavery with uh, um, whatever, whomever. But I, on the other hand, slow, you know, several minute long excruciating death to disease. Eh, I, you know, I, I'm not feeling good about that one, but I'll definitely use it to threaten someone. So he has really warped ends. I don't think I, I, it's almost like death is his bugaboo. Kinda. Every, yeah, everything up until him actually shedding the blood he's willing to do. And even if he has to do it depends on who and when and how, you know, it, you know, these things are complicated. It's not like these are complicated of, oh, we're going to have to, I'm sorry, you're, we're going to have to go kill Nazis today because otherwise, you know what? No, this is more like, a, well, I'm trying to co co create superior human beings here, and if I have to kill a few non-superiors, eh, you know, I, I don't like stomping puppies, but if I got to do it, I'll try not to, though. I think Soong realizes he has a problem when Malik doesn't release the antitoxin. I think he realizes more of, even more of the extent of the problem when he finds out that they left Smythe on his own and to die. And he basically says, he was your brother. How could you leave him behind? When and even, when he killed the other leader. Right. He won't even... He won't, and he killed the other leader. And then he kills Persis. He won't even have loyalty 
to his own. Dr. Lucas is still demonstrating loyalty to his own. Soong is still demonstrating loyalty to the Augments. Malik is loyal as long as he can use you, until it gets in the way of his ambition. And then you are disposable. But I think when Soong knows that it has become irretrievable is when Malik shoved him. Well, Malik shoves him, and that's the first time that he realizes that I'm no longer, I can't retrieve this situation. He thought, for a while he's saying, I should have never left you. I should have taught you better. Nature versus nurture. And he thinks that he could have nurtured it out of their nature. Until that Well, it, it, it's very clear it's kind of at the station and right after it, because he then decides, I need to change the DNA of the future generations. Yeah, yeah. So it has to be before that. Before he decides, that needs to be done. And that really happens when they find out that you left your brother behind. You didn't just kill your other brother in what you say is a bad fight and an accident. But now you left your other brother behind because he's weak. So that's where I think it kind of hits him and he starts realizing, puts one and one together and gets two finally, and figures out maybe I need to change some things. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the only reason he goes into AI because he's like, well, that didn't work. So I, I think that the message I take out of this episode is that, um, well, again, I'm going to go back and I'm going to say Soong is willing to get rid of his morals and do whatever is necessary to complete his work, which is his own ambition. You don't need to be genetically engineered. Ambition can absolutely lead to dismissing your own morals and your own sense of right and wrong because you can justify it. It's in us to begin with. So yes, if we were to genetically enhance the human species across the board, we probably would enhance our ambition and we probably would enhance that quality of us which tends to go with an ends justify the means argument and to be able to do our backflips as to why this is for the betterment of me or for the betterment of all of us. It's in the nature of human beings. Or at least some of us. Some of us it is not. Star Trek paints with too broad of a brush there. Um, and I think they point out that it didn't happen with the Denoblians because in some way, shape, or form they are different. They're an older spacefaring species. Their science is more advanced, and they do not have the ambition that humanity has, and humanity will eventually go to, on to, um, you know, found the Federation and basically run the galaxy. And that's part of Star Trek's humanism, to say there is something unique about humanity that will lead it to great things, and it is that ambition. But that ambition can also represent the darkest side of us. I don't think this episode paints us well, and I'm not sure it's supposed to paint us well. It shows that, again, like in similitude, our morality is fluid when we need it to be. And we don't, and, it, and, and if we were to genetically engineer human beings, it probably would be enhanced. That's the way I see it. Mark Thomas, you guys got some final thoughts because we're headed up to the out. I'll do the final thoughts on the rating. Okay, Thomas? Uh... My final thoughts, I can see why you picked it. It's a good episode that gives a yes. lot of 
a lot of topics and a lot of things that and many things that we didn't even touch on and some that we barely touched so much in here pure track pure track solid track yep all right let's rate this thing thomas how many embryos i will give this series of three ten great acting great episode quite a bit of classic track Mr. Lorenzi. Because of technical difficulties, I have to do this in post. But what is my rema- my rating? How do I rate these for uh, these three episodes? They're great pieces of Trek. They're great. Uh, the writing is solid in so much as that it's got continuity. It cares what uh, writers cared, what came before. And the retcons are really just closing up a few gaps while keeping a new story. So it's a great piece of writing in that regard. It presents all those ethical questions that Star Trek is known for, and not just Trek, but science fiction in general. So it's a great piece of Trek, a great piece of Star Trek, and a great piece of writing. Um, it had me at the edge of my seat. I was never bored. I mean, yeah, the, the thing about Archer being able to fight back and some of the effects being chintzy, that's there due to budgetary concerns. But that was never any, at any point, it was just kind of a small chuckle because the rest of it was such an enjoyable time to watch. So I never felt bored watching this, these episodes. So I give this definitely a 10 out of 10. All right. Well, I don't know where rage went, so I will give my rating on this. Uh, the three episodes are a 10 cold station. 12 to me is my favorite of them because it really digs into the exploration of humanity and our identification of us versus them. And, and both our failings and our, what makes us higher um, is on display in that episode. Ultimately, it's, it's, it's action-packed, it's entertaining, great acting, a very good script that has the time to develop across three episodes, great supporting acting. It's a 10. 10 is a piece of science fiction, 10 is a piece of Star Trek, 10 is a piece of Star Trek Enterprise. All right. I do not believe that Rage Master is with us, so... Uh, we're going to maybe add Rage Master's review in post because we're having some massive technical difficulties. Um, I don't do the spiel as well as Mark does. So, sickies, if you are interested, yep, I'm better than this, Scott. I'm better than you at plugging Raving Lunatic Media, so let me take over from you there. We've got, of course, Sci-Fi Malady's backlog. We've got Zodiac Task Force. The last episode just dropped shortly ago, and I definitely implore you to check it out. Uh, also, check out Why You Should, Ruck's new show, explaining why you should. And I'm going to be perfectly 100% honest, non-biased. His explanation of why you should watch My Hero Academia is without a doubt 150%, 158% correct. You should be watching why at My Hero Academia. And if you don't know why, tune into Why You Should to find out why. As well as all our other shows, if you're into uh, true crime, we have a backlog on Casatorium. And just some other great stuff you can check out of the channel and our Discord page where you can chat, chat it up with us in a great community there. Uh, you can also check us out and get our uh, set, leave a message at our website at ravinglunaticmedia.com, ravinglunaticmedia.com, ravinglunaticmedia.com. Thomas, what's left for them to do? Stay sick. Not so fast, Thomas. Stay sick, sickies.